John chapter 8, and where we left off last week, we left off in the middle of a conversation. Jesus has made claims to his deity, and there were some, not all of the people began to believe in him, but some of these people began to believe in him, and some of them were these religious leaders. So Jesus, they believed in, in Jesus, and Jesus kind of pulled them aside last week, and he told them a huge key phrase. Jesus told them if they would continue in his word, they really were his disciples. And as they continued in his word, as they held to his word, as they abided in his word, they would know the truth. And the truth would set them free. Well, last week we tried to figure out what is this truth that Jesus was talking about, this freeing truth, this truth that brings freedom. And as we unpacked that last week, we began to realize it was, it was the gospel. The gospel brings freedom. This truth that we found out last week, the first part of that truth was that every human be being is a slave to sin. We are held captive by sin. And then through the work of Jesus, we can be freed from the captivity of sin if we believe Jesus. Well, we're going to pick up in the middle of this conversation again today. So if you have your Bible, look in John chapter 8 and verse 48 that Mike has already read for us. It says this, verse 48. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Now remember, we've seen this a couple times here in this passage. The, the Jews that's talked about here, these are, this is the religious leaders. The Pharisees and Sadducees. And there's now a lot of conflict, a lot of friction between Jesus and these religious leaders. And so these religious leaders are now saying that Jesus is either a Samaritan... Or demon-possessed. Now, there's kind of interesting here. There's some racial tension here. Who were the Samaritans? Remember, we talked about this. And when we talked about the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Who were the Samaritans? The Samaritans were half, half Assyrian and half Jewish. Half Israel, Israeli. So you had this, these half Assyrians, half Jews, because in 700 B.C., the Assyrian Empire overtook the nation of Israel. Well, you had some Israelite people married Assyrian people, and they had kids, and so they were half Assyrian, half uh, Israelite, and so they were, um, they were called Samaritans. Well, the Jewish people hated the Samaritans, didn't they? Do you remember this? They hated the Samaritans. In fact, they used to call them half-breeds, okay? A lot of racism in that. So for these Jewish leaders, they're showing their racist side. 
Because for Jesus to be saying these things, they were saying, you, to say this, you are either demon-possessed or a Samaritan. So this is dripping with racial tension here. And in their minds, this was not a compliment. They were not complimenting Jesus. So they thought that to be making these claims, they're beginning to lean towards, in this passage, he's demon-possessed. And Jesus is saying, I am not demon-possessed. In fact, Jesus even says, this is not about me. I'm telling you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And we see in verse 52 that they feel all the more he's demon-possessed. He's crazy. He is out of his mind for saying this. But Jesus doubles down again in verse 52, and he says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Now, let's push pause for just a second and take a deep breath. I want us to look again at this phrase here in verse 51. Look at it with me. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So let's break down this phrase because, again, look at that verse 31 that we saw last week. In verse 31, Jesus said, if you keep my word, you really are my disciples, and you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. So if you like to draw in your Bible, and I hope you do, it's a lot of fun. If you like to draw in your Bible, draw an arrow from verse 52 to verse 31. You see that? Because there's a connection here that we don't want to miss. From verse 52 to 31, Jesus talks about keeping his word. He uses that phrase in both verses. And this idea of continuing or keeping his word, abiding and holding his word. So we've seen in verse 31 that that's an evidence of true discipleship, of continuing in Jesus' word and knowing the truth of the gospel. But now we see even more that if someone keeps the word of Jesus, continues in the word of Jesus, abides in his word, that they will escape death. Now, what did these religious leaders think that Jesus was talking about? Physical death, right? Well, let's say, well, that's ridiculous. Because Abraham, our father, and we'll talk about this in just a minute, but they adored Abraham. Abraham was the patriarch. He was like their George Washington. He was their father of their nation. They loved Abraham. They said, Abraham even died. He obeyed God and he died. And the prophets even died. So how can you say, for, how can you possibly, in your right mind, again, they think he's demon-possessed, they're saying, how can you, in your right mind, say, if anyone keeps my word or continues in my word, they will never taste death? This ridiculous claim to them is ridiculous because they're hyper-religious. And they're saying only a demon-possessed person can make this claim. If a person holds to the words and teachings of Christ, that is evidence of true faith and belief in Jesus. As we saw last week, as we get to know Jesus, we understand him and find his word more precious than anything else in our lives, then we will begin to understand the truth of the gospel and the freedom the gospel brings. And now we see this abiding, this perseverance with Christ, results in a person never tasting death. And we know now that Jesus was talking about spiritual death. That 
following Jesus, continuing in his word, abiding in his word, results in a spiritual death-free life. And that's an incredible statement. That's a profound, profound statement. And these religious leaders are blown away by it. Because look again at what they said in verse 53. How are you greater than our father Abraham who died? See, for Jesus to make this claim, Jesus is saying, I'm greater than Abraham. And they're having a really, really difficult time with that. And they continue to go on and say, and the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Or they really are saying, who do you think they are? Who do you think you are for saying this? And they're expecting a negative answer. They're missing this. Because one of the key points that Jesus is making throughout here, he even said it, that it's not about his glory. One of the key points Jesus is making is that this is not about himself. We never see here that Jesus exalts himself. He's always been pointing to God, the Father, and his relationship with God the Father. He is saying, I'm not greater than my Father. My Father sent me. He's always gone back to God the Father. But now Jesus is even going a step further than that. Let's keep reading. Verse 54. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies, of whom you say, He is our Father. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and I keep His word. So Jesus, what he's, Jesus is basically saying there is Jesus is saying, again, this is not about me, but God the Father. And then he says, I know God the Father. And now as we keep going, Jesus is going to explain a little bit more how he knows God the Father. So look at verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? So what's Jesus talking about here in verse 56? Look again at verse 56. Is Jesus in verse 56, is he literally talking about Abraham being there and seeing all of this? Jesus said that uh, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So was Abraham physically present right there? Yes or no? No, he was not. Abraham was not there. So what is Jesus talking about? Jesus is saying here the ultimate fulfillment of all of Abraham's hopes and joys was taking place. You say, Adam, what was Abraham's hopes and joys? What was he, what was he waiting for? Well, in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 22, we don't have time to go there, but maybe you want to write that down there in that page in your worship guide. You can go back and look at it. In Genesis 12 and uh, Genesis 22, God made a covenant with Abraham or a binding, a legal binding promise to Abraham. And in that covenant, God told Abraham, that through his family, the Messiah would come. 
God told Abraham in Genesis 22, look at the stars. Your family is going to be greater than the stars. He told Abraham in Genesis 22 that through his family seed, through his line, through his genealogy, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So God made this covenant with Abraham saying, the Messiah, the rescuer, is going to come from your line, from your family. But see, the religious leaders push back, of course, right? They push back on Jesus and they ask him, you're saying you've seen Abraham, but you're not even 50 years old. See, it had been thousands of years before Abraham had existed. And they're telling Jesus, you're not even 50. How can you not, how, how could you have seen Abraham? How could you see this? Now sets the stage, and don't miss this. Now sets the stage for a complete earth-shattering statement. This next statement by Jesus is cataclysmic. It's huge. And after Jesus makes this statement, honestly, through the rest of the Gospel of John... His relationship with the religious leaders is already kind of rocky, but it'll never be the same after this statement. This is one of the key statements in all of the Gospel of John, here in verse 58. This is a huge statement. So I just want to just stop, and I want us to feel the weight of what Jesus is about to say here in verse 58. So they ask him, you say you've seen Abraham, you're not even 50 years old. So let's see Jesus' response in verse 58. And this is where we're going to camp out for the rest of our time. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, or this is what Jesus is basically saying, this is the truth. Before Abraham was, I am. Look at that again. This is the truth. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Wow. Wow. Now, we need, this is such a huge statement that we've got to break this down. And I believe that as we break this down and we meditate and we marinate, on this phrase, in this phrase, is completely life-changing. So Jesus first says, Jesus is saying, this is the truth. Before Abraham was, so let's just stop there. Again, Abraham is the revered ancestor. He's the patriarch. So Jesus is saying, before Abraham, this revered ancestor, the patriarch, even existed... Thousands of years before that very moment of Jesus talking to them, Jesus says, I am. Now, faith, family, brothers and sisters, this is only something that God could or would say. Before Abraham was, I am. 
So Jesus is talking about, first, his eternality. He's always existed. Before Abraham existed, I existed. But then he even goes a step further. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Now, if you're familiar, and I know not everyone here is familiar with Scripture, and that's okay. But if you are familiar with Scripture at all, light bulbs and fireworks and red flags ought to be popping up all over your mind. Why? Hold your finger here in John chapter 8 and turn over to Exodus chapter 3. This is amazing. Don't miss this. Turn over to Exodus chapter 3. Here in Exodus chapter 3, we meet this guy, a guy named Moses. Anyone heard of him? Okay, Moses. And Moses was raised as a prince of Egypt, but he kills a guy, and he runs away to the wilderness. In the wilderness, there's even a love story there. He meets a girl, he marries her, and he starts taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. All right, working for your father-in-law must be nice, right? Maybe, depending. Starts taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. So one day, he's out in the wilderness taking care of his father-in-law's sheep, and he's out there, and he's out, and all of a sudden he looks up this hillside, and what does he see? He notices a bush on fire, but it's not burning. It's a burning bush. So he goes up there, he's curious, like probably you and I would be. Moses goes up there, he checks out this bush, and it's not burning, then all of a sudden this bush starts talking to him. Now... If a bush starts talking to you, one of two things is happening. God is talking to you, or you are on something. Okay, so this bush, is burning bush starts talking to him, and Moses is not high, he's not drunk. God's talking to him. And God starts talking to him, and he wants Moses to go back to Egypt and lead his covenant people, God's covenant people, Israel, out of slavery. And Moses starts coming up with every excuse in the book why he can't do it. He says, God, I'm not the man for the job. So let's pick up in verse 13. All right, we've set the stage. Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So God is basically saying, or Moses is saying to God, if I go back to Egypt, they're going to ask me, who sent me? What are my credentials? What is my authority? Who's given me the authority to, to lead you out of Israel? And this is what God says. Don't miss this. Direct connection to John chapter 8. Verse 14. God said to Moses... I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Now, you might be a little confused by this word, I am. But in the Hebrew language, it's a name for God. And it's the most sacred of names for God. See, the Hebrew people, they didn't call God, God, right? When we, call, when we say God, we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the triune nature of God. Everything that God is, we say God, right? It's pretty simple. Hebrew people aren't that way. 
we as English people, English-speaking people, we're pretty bland, actually. They had different names for God. And the most sacred of names for God, and each of these names described his character. And the most sacred of names for the Hebrew people was Yahweh. Can you say that? Say it with me. Yahweh. All right, so now you know a little Hebrew. So at your Super Bowl party tonight, you can say you know some Hebrew. And Yahweh meant I am. So Jesus, back in John chapter 8, Jesus, as clear as day, is saying, My name is Yahweh. That's a direct claim to being God. Can you imagine that moment? I hope there's DVR in heaven. Because I want to rewind back to see this moment where Jesus says in John 8, before Abraham was, I am. And he's saying it to religious leaders, Pharisees and Sadducees, who knew the law of Moses forwards and backwards. And they knew the story of Moses and the burning bush. And they, they knew what God had told Moses to say, I am, has sent me. And so Jesus, as clear as day, is saying, my name is Yahweh. It's like a character in a book, in a movie, revealing who they truly are. Jesus is saying, my name is Yahweh. Now there's a lot that goes into this name. It means a lot. Because this phrase, I am, means Jesus is saying, as Yahweh, Jesus is saying, I've never had a beginning. And I will never have an end. I'm eternal. I was present with Abraham. I'm present now. I'm eternal. I am. Jesus is saying, my name is Yahweh. And there's no reality, out, reality before or outside of me unless I create it. I am. I am Yahweh. Jesus is saying, my name is Yahweh. And I am constant. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I can't be improved upon. I am Yahweh. I am God. Jesus is saying, my name is Yahweh. I am the ultimate standard and source of truth. Because as God, I am omniscient. I am all-knowing. Jesus is saying, my name is Yahweh. And I am the creator and master of the universe. And I am sovereign and control over everything. Jesus is saying, my name is Yahweh, I am your creator, and I have come to save you. And how did they respond to all of this? They pick up rocks to stone him. Faith family today, just as clear as Jesus was saying to the Pharisees and Sadducees and the people present there in John chapter 8, somewhere around 2,000 years ago, Jesus is saying to you and to me, I am. I am Yahweh. I am God. Jesus is saying there's no reality before or outside of me unless I create it. Jesus is saying to you and I, I am God. I am constant. 
I don't change. In an ever-changing world and culture, I am constant. I am. Jesus is saying, I am God. I am the ultimate standard and source of truth. Even when culture becomes postmodern, saying there is no truth, I am the truth. I know everything about you, and I know you. I am Yahweh. Jesus is saying to us today, I am the creator and master of this universe. I'm in control of all of it. I created you. I am sovereign over every detail of my creation, and I am sovereign over every detail of your life. Jesus is saying, I am God, I am also a man, and I came to save you. I came to you, and I want to have a relationship with you. Jesus has previously said, as we've seen in John, I am the living water. Drink from me, and you'll never be spiritually thirsty again. Jesus has calls out to us, and Jesus cries out to us, and he says, I am the bread of life. I can sustain you, I can give you spiritual life, I can make you spiritually healthy. All of this, when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, all of this is contained in who Christ is. And all of this, Jesus is crying out to us, he is saying, I am Jesus, I am, I am Yahweh, believe me. Believe me. Jesus is saying, as Yahweh, I will give your life meaning. Jesus is saying, as I am, I have created you. I want to have a relationship with you. Believe me. Faith family, we can do one of two things with this reality that we've just been confronted with. We can react as these religious leaders did. And we can be against it. We can throw rocks at it. Or we can believe. And we can continue to believe. So we can know the truth. And the truth of Christ will set us free. We can continue and abide and hold in his word to where we'll never taste spiritual death. But we must believe. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you for being Yahweh. Thank you for being God. And I pray that you would help us to grow in that belief of you as God. We thank you that you are eternal God, that before Abraham was, you were. And we know that as I am, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That you are 
ever-present through all of eternity. That there's no reality outside of you. We acknowledge that you are the ultimate standard and source of truth. Cause us to believe. Jesus, I ask that if there's anyone here that does not believe, I pray through this reality of you being I am, that you would wake them up, open their eyes to their need of you. I pray for those of us who claim to be followers and believers of you. I pray we would continue in your word, that we would abide in you. We would hold fast to you so we can know the truth of the gospel. And the gospel will set us free. We thank you that if we know you, we will never have to taste spiritual death. That we have our eternity is secure with you. Make all of this real in our lives that I pray this spiritual truth that we have meditated on for just a brief moment this morning, that it would change us. Change us, O oh God. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.